You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. We are so glad that you're here. Well, if you're not aware, I know many of you are, but if you're not aware, I have three kids. My daughter Mia is 14. My son Xander turned 12 on Thursday. And uh, yes, yes. And he's going for 13. He's going to keep going. And uh, my daughter Livy is nine. And so, but this is years ago. So this is probably, Mia was about five years old. And we were having this, she was going to sleep and we were having these, one of these heart to heart moments that you have when your kids are going to bed. And I don't know, I thought that these kind of heart to hearts were going to be a little more often when I had kids and you know, life is busy and all that, but typically the heart to hearts happen when they're, when they're going to go to bed. And so I was talking to her and uh, she's, like I said, she's about five at the time. And I said, Mia, there was a time when mom and dad couldn't have kids and we were praying and trying, nothing happened for 10 years. And I said, but then one day your mom got pregnant and nine months later you were born. And I said, and here's the thing that's amazing is that you are, uh, your brother and sister are very special to us, but you're special to us because when we prayed, you were the first answer God gave us. And so, uh, and, and so anyway, I'm telling her all this and I'm like, me, I just want you to know how much I love you. And I'm like, I'm getting emotional. I'm tearing up as I'm saying all of this to her. And then she turns and she says, "Um, Dad. I said, yes, Mia. She says, could you say that again? Because I wasn't listening. (laughs) And, uh, okay. Uh, You know, sometimes people don't understand when love is being communicated. In fact, I think people don't understand communication just in general, because sometimes we can be using the same words and mean totally different things. And if you are married, you know that is absolutely the case. In fact, just how many of you are married here? Very good. Look, if you want to know who to pray for in this church, everyone who just raised their hand. So uh, now, because when a man says the word fine and a woman uses the word fine, these are not the same things. You see, when a guy says, hey, man, forget about it, it's fine, he has communicated something. He has communicated that whatever happened is in the past, not to worry about it, it's over. When your wife says, forget about it, it's fine. (laughs) Buddy, you better do whatever needs to be done before you wake up in a pool of your own blood. (laughs) So, and, and so, just if I can press the point just a little bit, when... (laughs) How about this sentence? I have nothing to wear. What does this even mean? Depends who you are. If a man walks into a closet and says, I have nothing to wear, let me tell you what he just saw. He walked into a closet and saw nothing but hangers. No clothing attached. When the same gentleman's wife walks into that closet and says, I have nothing to wear, it means something totally different. Because women have an ability to walk into a closet closet full of clothes and not see the hundreds of selections and combinations that are available to them. And the question is why? Right? This is the question we've been struggling with since the dawn of man. Why? Because, and I have, this is a theory that I have, and many have told me that this theory is true, but I leave it for your consideration. When a woman wears something new, and once again, it doesn't have to be brand new, it could be new to her. Um, she gets this feeling of attractiveness. 
because, you know, because women want to be beautiful. But, so she goes, she wears something because you, her and her husband went out. They went to a party. They went to a wedding. They went, they did something. But if they are doing something the next night and some of the same people that were at the thing from the previous night are there, the thing that she wore already is not an option. Because it's like, what kind, who, how could I wear something that someone has already seen me in? Like, that doesn't even make sense, right? And that's, once again, that's what, that's what she's thinking. Um, and so now, because I've got to wear something that no group has ever seen me. That's why when, when a woman moves to a new state, now she has everything to wear. Because no one that lives in Wisconsin has seen anything that she has worn. So, and that's what happens. When a, guy, when a woman says, I have nothing to wear, she's saying, I have nothing that will make me feel beautiful. When a man says, I have nothing to wear, he's making a survival statement. There is no clothing. And so, now, but the same thing happens, right? We can say one thing and mean something different. When we talk about the word love, what does it mean? Right? And so... Be, and part of the problem is, is that in the English language, we only have one word for love. And that's just, in general, the problem and sometimes the challenge in translating the New Testament because the, the language of the New Testament is a robust language. It was called Koine Greek, the common Greek that was used. Co- uh, common English, common vernacular in English is about one million words. Common Greek that was used in the writing of the New Testament, 32 million words. It's a very robust language compared to English. So we just use one kind of clumsy word to talk about love. Like, I love my kids. I love the Red Sox. I love cupcakes. All right? And yet, and by hearing me, you'd think it seems like he loves all three of these the same. Right? Am I saying I love cupcakes as much as I love my kids? Well, it really depends on what kind of cupcakes we're talking about. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. In the New Testament, right, in the Greek language, there's four different words that are used uh, for love. There's what's called uh, phileo love, which is, uh, phileo love is what's used, uh, it means a brotherly love. In fact, Philadelphia is where we get that word. Uh, It's it's a friendship type of love. Phileo is also where we get our English word, phileo fish, interestingly enough. No, it's not. It's not. I wish it was. But anyway, uh, there's also uh, storge is another one that's used, uh, S-T-O-R-G-E. Storge is, means a natural love. It's like the love that a parent would have for their children. Eros is another, lo- uh, another Greek word. It's where we get our English word erotic. It refers to a romantic type of love. And then there's what's called agape. Agape is an unconditional, God-like love, a sacrificial love, the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that God wants to um, bring out of us for others. Now, the reason I tell you all of this is because we are in, if you can believe this, the 17th message in a series in 1 Corinthians that we've been calling a beautiful mess. Now, why it's called a beautiful mess, once I tell you about this church, you're like, okay, now I get it, uh, because they were a, a mess. But the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Now, if you're not aware, Corinth is a city in southern Greece. And so Paul planted this church, spent a couple of years there, and then when he left, he turned the church over to local leaders so he could plant more churches around that area. And then what happened was, is that he gets word that there's all kinds of infighting and division in the church, all kinds of problems. And so now he's writing them this letter that we've been studying, encouraging them how to be united in a world that is so divided. And so the way that the book 
breaks up. So if we can kind of take 35,000 foot for just a moment. The first six chapters of 1 Corinthians is Paul dealing with all of the problems that are happening in this church. And then starting in chapter 7, he says, now concerning the questions that you'd written to me about. Because apparently the church had written Paul letters saying, hey, we have some questions about how faith and practice work and depending on the situation. And so in chapter 7, he writes to them questions about marriage and singleness and how does that work as Christians. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, he talks about a specific issue that was happening and how there were Christians on both sides. And the bigger discussion was, how can we disagree on something as Christians without vilifying the other person? And so he talked about how those who are more mature might have to curb their freedom for the sake of those who are weak in the faith. And Paul calls those who are easily offended people who are weak in the faith. And so then in chapter 11, Paul changes gears. He talks about church services and how things ought to operate in a a way that honors God. He talks about gender roles, how God has wired us, about communion and how it transforms us as it connects us to God and with each other. And then in chapter 12, which is what we looked at last time, he talks about spiritual gifts, how all of us have spiritual gifts. We're all part of the body of Christ and we're all members of that body. And so every member of the body is different but serves a vital function. And then he, go, he starts describing all these gifts in details. And then he ends the chapter by saying, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Why? Because he knows that we could be the most gifted people in the world, but if we lack the right motivation, none of it matters. And so what Paul's going to do is that he's going to define what love is, what biblical love is, and why it matters. Because a lot of times we say, oh yeah, I love all these people. But what we're talking about is, I love them in a way that's convenient for me. I love them in a way that I want to be loved. But instead, what Paul is going to challenge us to do is to love in a way that God is challenging to love and to love his way. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what we read. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and although I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. If you pause there and give me your attention, three things we're going to look at when it comes to love. The first is this, is that extraordinary gifts without love is meaningless. You see, more than likely you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 or parts of it quoted at a wedding. And what happens is a lot of times is that we hear it without any context. But the thing that you've got to understand is that this chapter, chapter 13, is sandwiched between chapter 12, which is about spiritual gifts, and chapter 14, which is about spiritual gifts. So this chapter does not exist in a vacuum. Instead, it's part of a greater conversation about spiritual gifts. And it's written to a church in, in contrast to their behavior, which hasn't been very loving, although they are very gifted. And so because Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts, he starts mentioning spiritual gifts. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, though uh, I have the gift of prophecy, if I have the gift of faith, if I give everything that I have, and all, all of this, we have to understand that he's talking about these gifts in particular and why they don't matter if there isn't love. When he says, if I speak the tongues of men and angels... 
What he's saying is, is that if I am so gifted by God that I can communicate with God in a special language and I can have all the right lingo, but if I don't have love, then all I am, as he says, is a clanging symbol. Why does he say a clanging symbol? Because that's how the pagan services in Corinth, that's how they would start their services, by clanging symbols to get people's attention. But here's the other reason that I think is just as profound. Have you ever heard a song that was just symbols? That's it, just symbols. No other instruments, just symbols. No. You've heard songs that are just piano. You've heard songs that are just guitar. You've heard songs that are just singing. But there's no song that's just symbols. Why? Because symbols accentuate and complement music. But the moment that they take center stage and become the music, immediately it just becomes noise. Why? Because symbols are loud and abrasive by themselves. But when played tastefully... Within the context of an ensemble, symbols make everything better. And this is what Paul is getting at, that it doesn't matter what your gifts are. It doesn't matter what your gifts are. If your motivation isn't love, then your actions are abrasive and annoying. And he says, I can have the gift of prophecy. I can understand the deepest things about God. But if I don't have love, I'm just an arrogant know-it-all. If I have the gift of faith and I can step out for God in amazing ways and do amazing things without love, you're just a thrill seeker who doesn't care about anyone. And if I give everything that I have to the poor and don't have love, you're just a guy that's looking for a tax write-off. You see, here's the point. You see, well, let me say it this way. There was a time in my life when I used to think that there were some areas of life where the motivation didn't matter because the results were the same. So I, I used, this is how I used to think. I used to think, like, the person who decides to go on a diet and exercise, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. For good reasons or because your girlfriend dumped you and you're now going to get in shape, it doesn't matter. The weights don't care, right? They, the weights don't care why they're being lifted. And so the results will be the same. If, if you said, I'm going to quit my job because I have this vision as to what I'm supposed to, or if you quit your job because you're like, I'm going to become successful just to spite my old boss, it doesn't matter. The results will be the same as long as you're willing to put in the hustle. If you said, I'm going to study like a madman to be the smartest person in my family, school, world, whatever, and, and, and for a good reason or a bad reason, I thought it doesn't matter. The, 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 the information doesn't care why it gets memorized. I used to think that. And here's, now let me tell you, how my thinking has changed now that I'm on the back half of my 40s is that motivation always matters. The guy who's in the gym to get ripped and the guy who's burning the midnight oil and the person who's studying like crazy for these, all these kind of poor reasons is letting something very unhealthy control them. And while it might look exactly the same in the beginning of the person doing the exact same thing for healthy reasons. As you walk down that road, it leads to a completely different place. Because that road of, hey, I'm going to do the same thing for the bad reasons leads to bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, and it always lacks joy. And here is the point and the thing that God is trying to save us from. It's, he's trying to save us from living a life that all that matters is what, but never why. And here's the thing that you'll learn if you live long enough is that why always matters. Sometimes it matters just as much as the what. Because listen, a life where we say what I do matters, not why, is a miserable way to live. Now let me, let me share this with you. You've been around Calvary for a long time. I've told this story before. I, I love telling it. And, and the reason I'm telling it is because there is a piece of Publix cake on my counter. And so 
Because I personally believe that Publix cake is the best cake in the world. Thank you. Thank you. It is. The buttercream, the, 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 the vanilla cake with the vanilla buttercream, uh, there is no cake that's better. Make your fancy cakes. Do whatever you want with your life. Give me that. I'm the happiest guy in the world. So anyway, and so there's a piece of that cake on, because I don't buy the full cake, because I will eat the full cake. So what I, would, what I do is in one just moment of self-control, I'll buy one. Well, fine, I bought two, but that's not really the point. So I buy a slice of the cake, and then I eat that, and then I just I chew on the plastic a little bit, and then I throw it out. <laughs> so here's what happened. So a while back, this is a few years ago, I go to Publix, uh, and so I'm going to pick up a few things, and I say to my wife, I'm going to buy a piece of Publix cake. Do you want a piece? And she says, no. And I'm like, are you sure? She's like, no, 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 I don't want that. Calories, blah, 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 as if that's a thing. And so anyway, so I go to the store, I buy the items, and then I come home. So after dinner, we're going to watch some TV. And I said, hold on, kids go to sleep. I'm like, wait a minute, let me grab my cake, and then I'll eat it while we're watching the show. And then she says, oh, did you buy me one? (laughs) No. You told me you didn't want one oh, but I just figured you'd buy me one even still, even though I said no. And I'm like, care? In what universe does that make sense? I asked you three specific times. And just like who wants to be a millionaire, you said no, final answer. And so, and she says, yeah, but I just thought that you'd still buy me a piece. And so I guess we'll just have to share yours. And I'm like, what? No. So I go and get my piece of cake. And I come back with mine and the piece that I bought for her, even though she said no. Now, and thank you. Thank you for clapping for that. It really, it really just shows what a catch I am. And so... <laughs> now... And so, and she's like, oh. and what's funny is I, I walk in and she's like, oh, you really know me. And I'm like, yeah, I speak crazy. And so, and so now, okay, now here's why I tell you this. Here's why I tell you this. What if the what was the same, but the why was different? What if the what is that I bought the cake, but I was upset because she's being undecisive or indecisive? Doesn't it change the whole story? What if I, I, I buy the cake and give it to her? Like, here's your cake. And I'm so annoyed that she won't tell me what she wants. Why? Here's the point. Because the why matters as much as the what. You can do the same act and miss the blessing that's going to draw you closer. And by the way, this story has given us, I mean, so much joy. We have laughed. We're, we're laughing together. But my wife and I will talk about this. We laugh all the time when we think about that when we think about that story. And listen, because it's not just the what that you do that matters. The why behind it matters. So my point is, if you're going to do the thing anyway, if you're going to buy the cake anyway, if you're going to have all faith, if you're going to have all the prophecy and you can understand all mysteries, even if you're going to speak in such a way with the tongues of men and angels, why not have the why be the right reason? And I'm telling you, it changes everything because when you do the what for the right reason, it makes the why so much better. In the message, the message is a paraphrase of 
the Bible. Sometimes it's like, woo, right, I, I kind of out there because it's trying to, but sometimes, man, it nails it. Now, let me read you verse 3 uh, of, of 1 Corinthians three uh, 13 in the message. He says, if I give everything I own to the poor, you may even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've got, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Nailed it. Okay, now he's going to describe what love is. Here's what he says. He says in verse four, he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you about love if you're a note taker, and that is that real love is actively engaged. There's a couple of things that are important to note. Like I said earlier, most of these verses are quoted totally out of context. So what I think part of what we need to do is put these kind of famous verses back into their context because they'll give them a lot more color as we understand them. Paul has been correcting this church and all the crazy stuff they're doing for 12 chapters all these wild and ungodly things that they've been doing. And so the, the thing that you need to know about this description of love is that he isn't just describing love out of nowhere. He is giving these descriptions of love as an opposite list of everything that this church had been involved in. What do I mean? When Paul says that love is patient, if you were with us when we taught chapter 11, wasn't the point of how people were cutting in front of each other when it came to communion and the communal meal they were sharing together. Some people were eating all the food and leaving none for others. And he's like, no, 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 you can't be like that. Why? Because love is patient. Why do you say love is patient? Because they're impatient. That's the point. When he says that love doesn't envy or parade itself, this is the very thing that was happening in chapter 10 when they were saying that uh, love pu- uh, knowledge puffs up but love edifies. He says that in chapter 10. That's why he says that love doesn't envy or parade itself. He says, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Wasn't that the problem in chapter five? When there was this guy who was involved in this illicit relationship with his stepmom, and he's like, and they're like, hey, look how gracious we are. He's like, no, no, no. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't rejoice in sin. It rejoices in the truth. And when he says love doesn't seek its own, Wasn't that the opposite of what was happening in chapter 3 when he says that they were divided and in factions and they had their own separate teams and all this? You see, when Paul explains what love is, it's a response to their very unloving actions. But then when he gets to the end of chapter 7, when he says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, now he's explaining, he's giving real instruction to this church about what love is. So when he says that love bears all things, if you're a note taker, just jot there in your notes somewhere, that word bear means to cover or to protect. It's a a self-sacrificial type of love. To cover or protect. Have you ever covered for someone? You see, when my wife was pregnant with our oldest daughter, Mia, one night we went out to this restaurant and uh, it was a nice place. We were, it was like a date night. And so um, now ladies, I don't know anything about this, but this at least sta- standing next to my wife with her being pregnant three times, I, I do know this by observation. And that is that as your body changes um, and you start growing in places, your body isn't cooperating like it once had. Now, things are going well. 
So you got to understand, my wife is like eight and a half months pregnant while we're having this dinner. And so uh, things are going well, but my wife apparently had one too many sips of the sparkling water that she had been drinking because she went to say something to me and she opened her mouth and let out what is the loudest burp <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. And so now you say, well, well how, how loud could a burp possibly be? It was so loud that people in the restaurant stopped talking. <laughs> and they turned and my, my wife is like, like doesn't know what to do. And people now are looking at us. And so I said, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that. And those people looked at me. They're like, like I was some kind of disgusting animal. Like, look at this beautiful woman with that disgusting pig. And, uh, and if they, anyway. So now, but this is what love does. It covers, it protects, even when it costs us something. That's why the apostle Peter would say, above all things, have fervent love for each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Real love bears the load when no one else wins. You know, one of the things about, I, I was at, in this building every day during its construction. The last like four months, I almost lived in here for the, you know, until it was done. And so I came in the other day and sometimes I come in through this door in the morning and it's pitch black. Every, all the lights are out and I don't need a flashlight. I, I am so in tune with this building that I can weave in and out. It's to, no light whatsoever and it doesn't affect me. I've got all my geometry I know where I am in this building at all times. But one of the things that I learned about this building as we were building it is that there are walls, some of these walls can be moved and some of these walls cannot because some of these walls are load-bearing. And if it's load-bearing, it's immovable because the entire building is being held up by certain walls. Now, here's, now I tell you that because sometimes when it's like, well, I don't understand why that relationship went sideways and what I thought was love didn't turn out to be love because someone was not willing to be a load-bearing wall. You see, if we aren't willing to bear all things, the structure, and whether it's a structure or a relationship or a family or whatever it is, it's going to crumble. And that, it doesn't, doesn't matter, once again, what, what, what it is. What matters is a love that lasts is a love that is committed to bearing all things. So he says that love bears all things. He says it believes all things and hopes all things. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that love is somehow gullible and will believe anything. What it does mean is that love doesn't operate out of suspicion or cynicism. Instead, love's, love believes the best. And certain believes the best about God's plans. But if love believes all things and hopes all things, it embraces faith over cynicism. Because embracing faith over cynicism is actively pressing into faith rather than allowing fear to envelop you. Because if you are not aware, fear is simply faith in reverse. And people who live in fear, just they, they have faith that everything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. And they just, their faith is that the worst case scenario is going to happen. That's why our English word for worry comes from a German word, which means to strangle. And that's exactly what worry does. It's what worry does. It's what fear does. It strangles faith and trust out. When I was in high school, and we had a whole group of friends in high school, but um, I had these two friends that didn't like each other. Well, they were friends, and they had a falling out. And I don't know if you've ever had that in your group of friends where you have two people that are kind of at odds, and then, you know, 
they're trying to figure out like who gets which friends and it really gets very complicated. And so we would have, and we were in high school, so it's like we would all sit down together at lunch and then when one, of the, one guy would sit down, the other guy would stand up and storm off. And then if we were all, you know, hanging out at my house or somebody's house, if one of them came over, the other person would leave. It was very weird. But this is, and you can imagine like going to the movies with these people. It was impossible. And so, but, but this is what would happen. One of them would show up and the other would walk out. And finally, I got them to stop fighting. And then a few weeks later, one of them got mad at me. And every time I walked in, they walked out. And I realized, like, I need new friends. And uh, this is too complicated. But here's the thing, is that faith and fear, trust and worry are exactly the same. When one walks in, the other walks out. Faith does this. It chooses trust over suspicion. And you know what the problem is with suspicion? Is that it's always a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if you're married, if you're looking for a reason to distrust your spouse, you'll eventually find it. It's like that saying, if a cop follows you for 500 miles, you're going to get a ticket. Why? Because if you're looking for a mistake, you're going to find one. And the remedy is to believe the best. It's to believe the most generous explanation for our spouse's words or actions. And listen, and the challenge is, is that, especially if you're married, that there are expectations that we have, and there are experiences that we've had, and in between that, those two, there's this gap where we either are going to decide where we are going to assume the worst or believe the best. And there's this thing that my wife and I have said for years, and we tell our kids this all the time, especially when the kids are arguing, is if you can take something one of two ways, take it the best way possible. It's a much better way to live. And that is believing and hoping all things. You don't have to live that way. Only live that way if you want to be happy. If you want to be miserable, then definitely do it the other way. Um, but then here, but lastly, he says this, that love endures all things. And this one might be my favorite because this speaks of the permanence of love, that this love doesn't give up. The Greek word is the Greek word hupomeno, which speaks of a person who, it's a word picture in the Greek language that speaks of a person who stays when everyone else leaves. And I think that that's just the perfect picture of love. You ever have a party at your house and everybody's having a great time at the party, the food is good, people are having fun and whatever, and then someone breaks out the trash bags to start cleaning up and it's like, you know, like everybody's scattered and then somebody's like, I got to take a call. The other guy's like, I got to be in surgery in 15 minutes. And, you know, it's like, what happened? But then there were some people that stayed because it's like, hey, I enjoyed the party, but I'm still here to help clean up as well. Real love is the people who they stay behind and do the stuff that isn't fun just because they love you. Listen, it's easy to be happy when you're at the party, but th- that kind of love doesn't endure. A love that stays behind is a love that endures. And the point that Paul is making, and I want you to note this, this is so important. Did you notice that Paul, when he talked about love, he did not talk about feelings at all? Did you know, when I was, I was walking into Target the other day with my kids and they were asking me, um, what I'm, what I'm teaching on, because that's a topic. And so they're like, hey, what are you teaching on this week? I'm like, oh, I'm talking about love. They're like, oh, really? What are you going to say? I'm like, well, I'm going to talk about how people think love is a feeling, that love is a feeling you feel when you feel a feeling you never felt before. And uh, they're like, hold on, what? I'm like, yeah, they say love is a feeling, a feeling you fe- uh, that love is a feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling you never felt before. And I say that 10 times fast. And then, um, and, and they're like, wow, so you're going to talk about what is love? And I said, baby, don't hurt me no more. <laughs> And they said, no, no, don't, but I want to know what love is. And I said, I know, I want you to show me. And, uh, and then because my kids are not really schooled on old foreigner songs, that's kind of the end of the road. But now, but here, I want you to, but listen, he didn't talk about feelings, even though feelings are great, but it, that's not what drives this. 
He didn't even talk about saying how much we love people, even though I think saying it is important. But what he said is that real love is doing hard things. It's staying when others leave. It's hanging in there when someone either would have bailed or has bailed. Isn't that the love that you want? Isn't that the love that you want to be known for? Well, he goes on and he says this in the end of verse 8. He says, now remember, he says love never fails. And now he's going to talk about things that are going to fail. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, and then I shall know just as I am known, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. If you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you, and that is that love is greater because it will last. Paul tells us here at the end in verse 13, he says that the last thing, these three things remain, faith, hope, love, but the greatest is love. Why? Because it's not only greater than faith and hope, but it's also greater than any spiritual gift. Because he says, when that which is perfect has come, who which is perfect? Jesus, when he is, that is complete, that is perfect. When Jesus returns, what's going to happen? He says, prophecies will fail or literally rendered useless. He says that when Jesus returns, tongues will fail. They won't be necessary. When Jesus returns, knowledge or understanding about who God is will be rendered useless. It's the same word as fail. Because we won't need to know about God when Jesus is standing before us. But now we know in part, or we see in a mirror dimly, or literally, um, in the Greek language, it's we see in an enigma or as a riddle. And, um, but that day we're going to see face to face. Now, Paul is borrowing an idea from the book of Numbers when there was all this confusion about Moses being the leader of the children of Israel. And they're like, hey, we're all leaders. And then God spoke to the people. And he talked about how he speaks to a prophet compared to how he talks to Moses. And Paul is using this illusion that it's like, hey, we see things in kind of like riddles dimly. That's what that word means. Well, let me show you in Numbers 12. It says, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But that's not true with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. When I speak with him, I speak face to face, clearly and not dimly, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. That's why he says, when that which is perfect has come, we, we see in a mirror, not clearly, but we see it in riddles. We, we, we don't see things as they are, but that, that day we will. And then three things abide, faith, hope, and love. Why is love the greatest? Because when we step into eternity, we will not need faith. You don't need faith when the promise is fulfilled. You're experiencing it firsthand. When you step into eternity, you aren't going to need hope. I don't need hope when the promise is fulfilled because hope has been fulfilled. It's here. I'm experiencing it. But love, love is always necessary. Love is always needed. And even when we step into eternity, we're still going to need love. And listen, we need love now more than ever because we'll always need it. In fact, you could think of it this way. Faith has a tendency to deal with our past because when we come to Jesus, he forgives us of our past. The Bible tells us, for you have been saved by grace through faith, dealing with our past. 
Our hope talks about the future, what's going to happen in the future, the things that we're hoping for. That's why Jesus, the Bible calls Jesus our blessed hope. So if hope deals with the future and faith deals with the past, then love is now. Love is now. That's why it's always about what love is, not what love will be or should be. It's love is. It's, it's, it's the present tense. It's what's needed because love is what sets people free. And the question is, do you want to be set free? Because there are so many of us that we can find ourselves trapped. We find ourselves trapped in a prison of our own making, bitterness and anger. And listen, you know what the thing is when we find ourselves in the prison of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and we have guilt and shame and listen we can try we try to kind of like talk ourselves out of this stuff but the truth is is that what sets people free is love and it's not just kind of like yeah i'm just gonna like think lovely thoughts no it's understanding that god loves you and he showed you practically how much he loves you because jesus died for He died for you and he rose again. And that's why, listen, we sometimes wonder like, man, I don't even know what step to take. And yeah, love will set me free. But what do I do? Jesus said, come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden. You're carrying heavy burdens. And here's what he says. I want to give you rest. You see, there's a life that you want to live. There's a person that you want to become. And then there's all this stuff that we're dragging with us. And that's why Jesus says, listen, come to me begin to see God as our Father, Jesus as our Savior, and we enter relationship with Him. Because my friends, the only way that you're going to understand yourself and your future, the only way you're going to understand the world around you is understanding how God sees you. And you know how He sees you? He loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose again, and now He's offering us new life. And even for those of us that say, yeah, that's great, man, but I'm not into God. Well, guess what? He's into you. And he wants to take everything that you've been dragging that's been keeping you from getting where you want to go and becoming who you want to be. And he wants to just cut the cord on all that and say, listen, why don't you just let my love set you free? And if that's the case, if that's what's going to set us free, then why can't today be the day when that happens? So I'm going to invite all of us to stand if you would. If we really want to be set free by the power of the things that have been holding us back and holding us down, if if that's really the case, then maybe this is our moment to experience that kind of freedom. Experience the love of God to come in us and flow through us so that we can now experience life and hope and peace and grace. You know what I love about Jesus is that he didn't wait for me to do something, to do something for me. He didn't wait for you to do something, to do something for you. Instead, he came to earth and he hung on a cross and he paid the price and he died and he rose again. And now he offers us everything freely. And I believe that this can be our moment. This can be our moment where the past is in the past and we circle the day. This was the day that everything began to change. Today, I started taking the love of God seriously. And so listen, if that's you, here's what I want to do. In a moment, the band's going to play. And as we do, and I don't know, I don't care if you're in the room, if you're in the lobby, you're upstairs in the cafe, here's what I want you to do. You're already standing. And I'm going to invite you to 
take a few steps and meet me here at the base of this platform. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you and I want to lead you in a prayer that's going to set you free. We're going to see God begin to transform your life and it starts today. It starts right now. Because you know what the cool thing is about, about eternal life? Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts right now. And this is your moment. So if you say, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me. I want eternal life to start right now. I want forgiveness to start right now. I want all the I want to be washed of everything that I'm feeling guilty about that I've been carrying around. Then that can start right now. And if that's the case, why don't you take a walk up and meet me here and we're gonna pray and this is gonna be the moment where everything changes. So if you're ready, we're ready. Pastor George, lead us. find ourselves in this like wrestling because we're standing there on our seat and we're like you know I really should be there you know I've been talking about changing and I've been praying that something would happen that my life would change and now we're standing this is the moment this is the moment and I can't think of a worse feeling than driving home after all of this and saying this could have been my moment and I missed it so listen, if this is your moment, then I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a second, but this, you need to you need to take a step and walk up here and watch what God does in your life when you take this one simple step of obedience and God starts transforming your life. I can assure you of this, nobody ever gave their life to Jesus and regretted it. Come on up. Now. anybody else this is your moment come on up bro god bless you man we'll wait for you we'll wait for you yeah come on up come on up god bless you guys yep yeah we're gonna wait for you don't worry yeah come on we got you come on come on be the person who was supposed to and didn't. That's a recipe for being miserable. But this is this is this is your moment. Come on guys. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah. You guys have made an amazing decision. We'll wait. 
We'll wait. Come on up. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah. We'll wait for you. I think that's everyone. A little more. Come on. Yeah. Nobody's given their life to Jesus and regretted it. The only regret is I wish I had done it sooner. I was 19 years old when I came to know Jesus and my only regret was that I wasn't 18 or 17 or 16. But I believe that today, that this can be a day that changes everything. Why? Because here's what the Bible says, that when a person is in Christ, when they come to know Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the moment you can circle on the calendar and say, this is the day that everything began to change because I started taking the love of God seriously. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you and then lead you in a prayer and watch what God does. Let's pray together, church. Lord, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for every heart that's made a decision to come to you or come back to you or know you. And Lord, I just pray that you would meet them here, that this would be the moment that changes everything. This would be the first act of obedience as they trusted you. They had enough faith to trust you here. And that, Lord, this would be the beginning of something amazing that you want to do in their lives. And so, God, do your work in them. Those of you that have come forward, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer. They might be my words, but I pray that they express your heart to God in this moment. Just say, dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry for all I've done wrong. But I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.